Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Phenomenon Report. I am Kelly Kleinman, and tonight we have one of the moderators of the Facebook group, Aliens, UFOs, Space Anomalies, and Conspiracy Theories. It is absolutely the largest Facebook group of its kind. It's got over 133,000 members and growing. We have with us a gentleman that I've been talking to for about four or five weeks right now. He's a very interesting individual, soft-spoken, and I would say very smart. I think you're going to enjoy Mr. John Zanettis. John, welcome aboard. Thank you for having me. This is an esoteric podcast. We talk about strange phenomena. Some people might consider it an esoteric subject, that is aliens and UFOs and such, uh, but really it's becoming more mainstream. We'll get into that in a minute. Meanwhile, I'm just curious as to what got you into this, this mess in the first place. Um, it's definitely connected to the esoteric things and mysticism and spirituality and all of these categories for me have always been really intertwined and I've never really experienced a time where they weren't a part of my life and my thought. I feel like immediately my experience as a human being was how to integrate things together. Even as a little kid, I was into the, developing my own theory of everything. And I was always into every category of things. So aliens and angels and spirituality and anything, anything like that, I was always finding a way to combine the kind of fantastic with the mundane and understand why do some people go so polarized as far as believing one thing and then disbelieving another thing. It always seemed really silly to categorize things so black and white. Yeah. So you came in wired for esoteric and you've got an open mind. I, I, I can appreciate that myself as well. I think, <laughs> is there any one event that you've either read about or experienced yourself that you think stands out as definitive proof that aliens and UFOs are in fact as real as taxes and political shenanigans? I, Conceptually, I don't really believe in proof, but what I think what I think reveals truth in such a context is a body of um, stories, an accumulation of experiences um, that you can draw from and begin to genuinely understand something. So I feel like it's very confusing when you have any sort of publicized events or things that happen in the media because there's, there's always a complex motivation behind that sort of thing, whether it's an individual's own pathologies and, and interests and desires, like, cause you can't escape that. If, if one person is telling the truth, even they still might want to be famous. <laughs> so it's there. So what you want to do, and, and same with a, you know, a news outlet, they're still selling commercials, no matter what nugget of truth is in the story. So it's more so about understanding a pattern, you know, a body of work or a body of evidence. Testimonies. Sure. That's, in my opinion, how you find what's really happening. Sure. The, the sheer volume of anecdotal evidence is overwhelming. Now, myself, I can point to probably any one of 25 or more events, but in my humble opinion, when the Pentagon admitted that the Tic Tac videos were, that were recorded hovering over the USS Nimitz naval fleet, uh, that they represented unknown technology, that subtle disclosure in the middle of the coronavirus epidemic kind of set it all for me. It, it rang true. Now, the keyword phrase that they used was unknown technology, right? So some water cooler theorists suggest traveling from one world to another takes too long, so they must be able to manipulate time and space or travel interdimensionally. What, what say you? I, I'm always amused at these kinds of stories because it's so obvious that what people are gonna think when they put this story up, they get, you know, the words you use they're intentionally saying something that they're not, they're not using the words aliens, but what are you gonna, what is anybody going to think when they're, they're 
implying with these phraseology it just kind of i'm amused by the way that they write stories a lot of times but i agree um but regarding this sort of thing like traveling from uh, alpha centauri to our planet it takes a certain kind of technology what do you think gets them here what what is their mode of transportation or just from a conceptual standpoint how 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 do they get here how would you consider it most feasible um well that's kind of a jump from that to that but i'll go yeah there. yeah well they, say, they're here right so i'll say not, it's not it's not about getting here i would say that's part of the misconception is because of what the way that we think about space and travel we think everything's really far away and spread out but in reality the the universe dimensionality is stacked there are things living on top of things living on top of things we we don't even know all the extent of creatures and beings living on our own planet like we are stacked with life and biodiversity not only on the micro and macro scale but also stacked dimensionally there's things on frequencies all, all around us all the time that we don't experience that just like how animals don't pay attention to humans it's very similar like we just don't have any shared commonality directly that gives us some kind of reason to be interacting but we're all interrelated we're all in the same space so in the way that I would describe it is they're already living here. They're already interwoven with us and with the history of the cosmos and with the history of earth and whether or not they're, you know, in right above you at the moment or not, you know, they're here, they're, they're doing, they're just like us doing their thing. But I, I, I am with you there. It's not necessarily, you don't need to know how they got here. They're here. Bottom line is they're here. And that's the fact. You know, I'm going to go with you down a, a rabbit hole. I knew we were going to do this a couple of times tonight. <laughs> we'll get back to the technology only because I already pre-wrote out the questions. But um, something that I've always thought uh, that I have not heard anybody espouse as well is that some of these UFOs might be life forms like you're suggesting that have a photoluminescent quality that live in the atmosphere. They move very unusually. Some of the uh, falling leaf type patterns and some of just the random way they travel suggest that suggest something that's not like what I would consider a, a simple flight pattern. It's almost like they're having fun in the breeze. Like, you know, fish like to get into the uh, stream and do all sorts of fun things. And you see hummingbirds flip around. Well, that's what these things do. So why can there not be a photoluminescent gas, gaseous entity or an entity that lives in an electromagnetic realm, follow me here, up in the atmosphere that we simply can't catalog because we can't catch it, we can't stick it in a, in a, in a cage, you know, or we can't bottle it. But they're up there, they're interacting with the gases and with the electromagnetic um, atmosphere, and they're, they're, they probably account for some of the UFO sightings that are out there. Make sense? Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, almost, it sounds almost silly to say that almost anything you could imagine has some degree of reality to it, but that's that's the the vastness of existence and the, how early on in the discovery of the universe we are. Like there's so there's so far to go. So it's kind of funny that we're just at this first step and we're already like, we figured out everything and we need evidence to prove of the next thing. It's like, well, we do need to see the evidence to believe something in a, in a, in a way, but there's so much there that we just don't even almost understand fundamentally that it's, it's possible for things to exist. Sure. So it's almost like we're not even imagining that things exist, which is nice to hear you say you're at least, imagining like it would make sense for this to exist and you're totally right there's really no example of life that doesn't or couldn't exist 
and the universe is old enough that all of these things certainly do exist and have existed. And it's just a matter of us exploring and connecting with these things. Well, you know, we have life on virtually every medium around us. We have life in the ocean. We have life on land. Uh, we certainly must have life in, in the sky. And that also means we have life in the space and certainly on other planets. So let's, and, and I'll give you my theory. I'll give you my theory. This is conversation, right? This is more of a conversation than anything. People suggest that you have to have some kind of incredible technology to be able to get to point A, from point A to point B um, in one single lifetime, in a, in a period of time where you could still work, um, you know, uh, process data and, 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 and survive, right? My suggestion is like when we came to the United, when we came to the United States, when we came to America, when we took over a continent, we did it by basically jumping from lily pad to lily pad. Once we got into one area where we could survive, we figured out what our obstacles and risks were in that area. We tamed it and then we moved on. And that was multi-generational. There's nothing that says you have to go from point A to point B. It could be a, a race, a civilization of entities. And this point A to B could be from any, from, could be interdimensional even. But the point is, is the way you compensate for the consideration of time is that it could take millions of years to get from point A to point B because you go 1,000 miles at a time or 100,000 miles at a time or a million miles at a time, establish a base, a lily pad, and then you get ready to hop onto the next one. Establish a base and you hop onto the next lily pad. You jump from rock to rock, from planet to planet. So that's sort of my thought is if, if this is an intelligent race that we're dealing with or multiple races. Um, what's your thought on that as a possibility? Now let's get into who these guys are. Well, different kinds of beings are going to have a different relationship with that journey, you could say, of, of, that, of exploring or of whatever, whatever specific reasons they have for traveling the, the cosmos. But... Um, ones that are more like us that are that are not at the place where um, certain biological life is where they're they don't have what we would you know call like an ego just to put it in the simplest terms um and then beings that aren't on the other side of the spectrum that are that have more of a singular unified consciousness and are kind of more one with their entire species and with the universe like we're kind of right smack in the middle of these two things. So for us, we have our own unique perception and experience of space and time. Yeah. And we, that means that we have a very, a very particular singular desire to have meaning and significance in the context of a single human life. This isn't necessarily the same as animals or ETs. It might be, this, it might be similar to some of each, either of them, but the human experience is more particular in that way. So we have a little less patience for like spending generation and generation, you know, millions of years doing something. We're like, I am a singular human right now and I have a specific kind of being that is focused on my singularness. And not only does that create part of the complexity and chaos in human culture and human life, but it also creates the fascinating uniqueness of humanity is that we are all one thing, one organism of, of human, and, but the way we experience it is so splintered, so, so yeah, I almost lost track of the original question. No, you're, you're there. So here's but we're very different. Diff time travel is very different for us right now than it will be in the future for us. Do you think the, the, the mentality that you're suggesting, our mentality, not having a beehive mentality, but being sort of individuals, is an inhibitive factor when it comes to A, spreading out amongst the stars, or B, being able to accept beings that do have a different kind of mentality that are more task-oriented, more beehive-like. Yeah, definitely. Because we, it would, 
so fundamentally cause problems for us emotionally and mentally if suddenly we did have access to the entire universe at the flip of a switch and communication with any kind of being at that level of ease it we would have such an existential crisis personally as individuals each individual would would have to answer all these questions that would be really stressful you'd have to figure out i was raised in this religion is it real what is real what is the nature of reality what is my purpose like you would have an existential breakdown and it's it's already difficult enough having a human experience and integrating the the universe at large with the pers personhood and figuring out how do i feel about this why do i need to have an opinion about this what are i going to what am i going to eat today what is the healthy thing to eat it's, like, yeah. it's already complex enough so we'll work we're working towards that for sure um and as we know because everybody's thinking about it now which i love because i felt like in the 90s i felt weird for being the one who was thinking about it but now it's like every second person is talking about some mystical alien thing and i'm like oh that's beautiful <laughs> well john feel comfortable knowing that you're in good company here because i precede you by i'm not going to tell you how many years that i've been called this and that being the alien guy the bigfoot guy you know when I, we've all been vindicated which is like fantastic but we knew it we're open thinkers it's just obvious it's a huge universe and it's a it's a it's a relatively big planet with a lot of biospheres within it that contain all sorts of interesting species. You know, are you a Star Trek fan by any chance? Not specifically, but I appreciate, I appreciate the, that world. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to recommend you. Look, I'm a fan I watched of it Earth. as a kid, but I don't remember much as a kid. Right. I, because of Corona, I started watching the first Star Trek and I'm probably about 38 episodes in. Now they, uh, they approach alien life as alien life. I mean, that's the whole concept of, of their mission is to explore strange new worlds, to reach out and see or seek, seek new life and new civilizations. Boldly go where no man has gone before. But they look at different things that they experience as a potential life form. Yeah. There's a gas, a shining gas that seems to get into their head and, and try to communicate with them. There's, there's, uh, there's cyborgs, there's, there's strange life forms, and they don't panic. They don't have existential uh, crises when they come in contact, but they look at it and they study it. Hmm, interesting. This is interesting. It seems to have, you know, it seems to exhale. It seems to have a consciousness. It, they look at it in a completely different way than we do. And maybe in some bizarre way, we're being conditioned. Mm -hmm. Because truly, the way to communicate is with our most primitive components, our emotions. And when, when someone understands that, then they write what, you know, science fiction that has that sort of psychic connection where you'll connect to a being because this is real life. You know, there's people who talk to animals, nobody talks about it, but because it's, it's whittling down your being to, a translatable component that you can see something or see anything practically and you can translate from it and communicate with it like this is these are things that have existed for the whole span of humanity but in our more so recent history we are kind of disconnected from the our ancestors and the traditions of our ancestors and the reality that consciousness and um, the essence of of beinghood is a lot more simple and it and we make it into this very narrow um, bandwidth of like words and communication which is fine but there's a lot of emotion that's going on when we're talking to anyone and if we miss the the emotions then we miss the actual truth behind the words it's not as much about the words in my opinion mm -hmm. as much as it is 
gaining the experience of that other person who's talking? Are you connecting to that? You can, are you feeling what they're feeling? And that to me is how, really how you learn to be psychic and how you learn to connect with beings, any kinds of beings in the universe is by being open emotionally. Reminds me, my last episode, I did a thing on schoolyard contacts, close encounters with uh, children. There have been several, actually. I only covered two of them, which was the uh, South African and the Australian episodes. And these children had telepathic episodes with these beings. Uh, they were, they initially had an effect, uh, they were startled. They had, they were scared. Then they started hearing the voices and ideas started coming to them um, silently as they looked at the alien's eyes, which is interesting, you know, which uh, um, shows you one thing right there, that their, their means of communication is on a far different level. Um, but my thought is that some of this science fiction is conditioning us in a way. And I don't know if it's, you know, if it's something that's planned or, or whatever, but it seems as though we're being conditioned um, purposefully or just by sheer coincidence to be able to communicate and accept the idea that there are other beings that are clearly advanced on many levels, more advanced than we are. So there isn't as much shock value. I believe I could stand in front of um, uh, a craft and not be freaked out at this point. I, I can't say that with everything, but I believe that I can actually, I would be able to do that. I, I take my training seriously, frankly. But let's get into the fun stuff, okay? Um, why do you think they're here? And who the hell are they? Well, <laughs> um, I'll start with who, because they're really, it depends, it kind of depends on your perspective, but from my personal perspective, I wouldn't call them very, very different from us. Um, because I, I tend to have sort of a very broad, like umbrella perspective about things. All inclusive. So yes. So even when there's two things that seem polar opposites, you know, like two political parties or something, I will do my best to see the commonalities and see the playground that they're both playing in and say, they're both this type of thing doing this type of thing. And it just so happens they're on either ends of a spectrum of doing that thing. So um, they're essentially related to us in every possible way. And they're in, just as interested in us as we are as them, with them. Um, it just so happens we're, we're asking different kinds of questions than they're <coughs> asking. And that's really, that's really the point of that difference is we wanna be safe. We, and we're, we're biologically geared um, and our, our cellular memory, our ancestral memory is from a lot of war and trauma. And that tells us to protect ourselves, to make sure that our families are safe, to make sure that our countries are safe, make sure that our planet is safe. And that's totally valid. And in contact is going to have to happen in a gentle way, just like foreign diplomacy, you know, we have to have conversation and understand each other and come to a, a place of shared, agreed, safe space. And so these beings are totally us. They're related to us. They're similar to us. They, they have spiritualities similar to ours. They have technologies and sciences similar to ours. They have understanding of the universe that's similar to ours. It's just different and expansive and a lot of them are a little at least a little older than us but even a little older than us is a long time in the grand scale so even if they're just a little older than us and related to us um they'll seem to blow our minds and like how did they do that but in the grand scheme of things they're really just uh, just our fam family who's 
a little bit older and and they're interested in us for many reasons but in 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 reasons that i think we can relate to they want to understand our experiences what is it like to be human what are the generational evolutional evolutionary changes and emotional changes biological changes um how did certain things play out and and evolve over time like there's so many questions the similar similar questions that we have only they have it they have it from a completely different vantage point they want to understand um and us and it affects them because because we're so related and because genetically information about us informs that their genetics and their future just has vice versa so the more information the better the more they can understand us the better they can interact with us because a lot of experiences that people have with them are really intense and overwhelming and traumatic because just showing up it's it's most people i mean most people maybe not most people but a lot of people in my life have been spooked by me just standing in the room and they didn't know i was there and they'll freak out and be, oh my gosh i didn't know you were there <laughs> like and that's a another human you just didn't realize they're in the room um so well do you think this is a just a thought I uh, alluded to the lily pad theory, where you have to go from rock to rock, lily pad to lily pad, establish a beachhead, uh, establish your kind, your DNA, assimilate with that particular rock before you can move on to the next one. And maybe, this is just for the fun of the conversation, maybe that process takes a long time. And they become one with the civilization that maybe started off on that planet and they insinuate their DNA and move on when that race has evolved to a intellectual level, which I think it's more intellectual than anything um, to an intellectual level, then they're ready to move on to the next planet. And it's just different levels of readiness. Like right now we're just beginning to reach out to the stars. You know, the technology will be there. The technology could change abruptly at any given time. Literally, if you took a television and planted it in somebody's house 200 years ago, they'd freak out. What the hell is this? So technology just is very, very rapid. Our ability to operate technology is very, very, very quick. Um, we assimilate well to technology. We don't to new ideas and we don't to invading forces. I think any race that wants to spend time having anything to do with us on any level, even if it's a minor, minor level, has to understand that, you know, we, we don't take well to strangers. Um, do you think that, what kind of variety of aliens are coming? We've got the reptilians, we've heard of the Aryans, the reptilians, the greys, so on and so forth. Uh, in your estimation, and look at you're the moderator of a website that comes up with some of the most amazing content. What have you seen out there? What, what do we have come? What, what's, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of travelers do we have coming to town? Hmm. Oh boy, I'm sure there's a ton of them. I mean, let's just get into the things that sort of look like us because there's probably some really, really interesting entities that might travel interdimensionally might be again like i mentioned electromagnetic or gaseous mm -hmm. in, in 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 their overall structure but the ones that have a head arms legs eyes maybe or maybe not a mouth how many of them are there what are the races uh, what are you what are you getting off that website i i rarely find people that are very interested in talking about the the, the ones that aren't similar to us, kind of having that Adam Kadmon sort of, you know, arms and legs and head structure. Yeah. Um, because the further you get away, the, the less you can understand, you, the less easy it is to relate, I guess. Oh no, you're so, right. The, the conversation gets really foggy. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> but when you have something shared, you know, 
it's more relatable and you can have humor. The more you have shared, the more you can have humor because you're like, oh yeah, you know what it's like having arms. <laughs> you know, another, another being from another part of the universe totally gets you in that specific context. Mm-hmm. But um, gosh, I, I, don't, I don't usually try to tackle that because there's such a long, there's such a long history and there's a lot of names of things like Pleiadians and Arcturians and that, that I relate with and I, ha- and I have things that I personally can identify about them. And, but there's such, a long, there's such a long history and there's so much variation that sometimes I just, I steer a little bit away from it um, when I'm personally talking about it because there's just so much to talk about and that's maybe not my personal calling as much whereas some people are are very much more so interested in talking about specific species so i like a lot of these species and i don't i couldn't name how many there are or it because for me personally because of the way my my brain is the way that i structure things very complexly that one thing becomes two things becomes three things because I'm not necessarily looking like, is this species one thing? And then this other one, one thing I'm looking at like, well, this species augmented their DNA at this point, And then an offshoot went off and did this. And so how many of those should I count? It becomes like counting a fractal. It's like, how many of those am I counting? Yeah. So, well, you mentioned the Pleiadians. That's the whole Billy Myers thing. So let's tell what, what, what interests you about the concept of the Pleiadians? This goes back into ancient history, by the way. The races came from the Pleiades, that they came from um, the dog star, uh, you know. Hmm. I would not call myself specifically an expert on talking about the Pleiadians. So I might not want to gear part of the conversation specifically about them. Yeah. There's been, a, they actually, before the greys became all the rage with the abductions, which we'll get into in a minute, um, the Pleiadians uh, were the primary focus of conversation when it came to alien races. And then with the advent of the Betty and Barney Hill uh, encounter, close encounter and abduction, things changed. And then people started getting abducted left and right. And of course, Bud Hopkins led the charge uh, to get into these people's minds to, uh, to hypnotize them, to regress them to the point of the actual encounter. And a lot of information came out. Um, and I think that the, the one thing that I get out of all of those abduction reports, for the most part, at least the people who live to be regressed and recount their story, is that there seems to have been some compassion shown. So when we're talking about having human-type qualities, uh, their memories were erased specifically. They may have been taken either figuratively or astrally out of their bodies and experimented with on some level. And the experiments themselves might have seemed horrible. I think I can recall Travis Walton, Fire in the Sky, that didn't go all that well. It was quite traumatic. He's actually gonna be a guest on the show. He doesn't know it, but it's being set up behind his back. Um, So we'll be able to get down to the bottom of that. But it did show some compassion, I think. It's like, we don't wanna change your life. We don't wanna, you know, cause any, uh, you know, issues with you consciously. Of course, it all is right under the surface there. Um, what, what, give me your thoughts on abduction. Give me your thoughts on the process and, and what, what, if you were abducted, yeah, well, let's talk about if you were abducted. What would go through your mind? Would you be accepting of it? Would you allow it to happen? And, and then what kind of being does that? What, what's the mentality? What's the scientific process and the methodology to come here and do that to people. What does that tell us about that civilization? Well, what you identified a moment ago, what is sort of the insertion method, which is essentially to create an experience that's like a non-invasive 
surgery essentially into your linear life timeline where there's a slit in made they, they have an interaction with you and then they put you right back essentially as far as you can cognitively understand at the same moment in time that they, they try to make it so there there's nothing disrupting your life because it it's not really their goal to disrupt your life even though they it is a part of a collective goal to have a co contact be something we're leading towards. So introducing minor contact, introducing recognition where there's a reason that they're interacting with you, which you get into that personal ego interpretation thing a lot with people because each person is at a specific place in their own life and they have to, and what understanding do they have of themselves and their soul and their, why would they have an interaction of this nature? Like, because from, from everything that I've, I've experienced with this sort of thing, there's always a connection. Even if you just see a craft, there's a connection. There's a reason why you're having that experience. And it might be because you're related to those beings. It might be because it's a part of your life path to, um, to be thinking about that, to be integrating this awareness, because usually people who have experiences do have a more deep awareness that they are connected to something bigger than humanity even. Um, so a lot of times it'll be a person who very immediate, very close immediately has a genetic connection to an ET and that they'll be the one who they'll see a craft and immediately they'll have a sensation of this is important to me. They won't understand it cognitively, but the genes will react with some kind of reaction like your your body your body has some old information in it and your body will recognize things that's why people will freak out about spiders or something because there's some old information that you don't understand necessarily but that's very relevant to you for one reason or another and but um to get back to it before they yeah so sometimes it'll be it'll be because you're very specific genetics or your very specific soul or your specific whatever it is that you're on the same uh, wave they're on the same wavelength and there's sort of a mm -hmm. connection there that attracts both mhm mm and you, and it's and, and the, the free will aspect of it does get a little murky because there is an agreement when there is, when there are these connections, there is sort of an agreement made, not sort of, it, it, it is explicit. And, and that's where it gets confusing to us because we're at that state, like I've been talking about where we're grappling with questions about ourselves and we're grappling with how much free will do we even experience? Are we victims of our of our existence, or are we free will sovereign beings choosing to have experiences and choosing which way we're going to go? Most of us are somewhere in between, and if one little thing happens that we don't know how to process, we can easily spiral into everything. Everything is against me, and I, I'm out of. I don't have any control, and I don't understand my why, why, how could someone allow me to be in this pain? And, and we kind of start almost battling our own emotions and, and it becomes very difficult sometimes to get through those, especially alone, because we really need gentle, loving social context to be able to explore traumas and emotions. So it's very complex sometimes having these interactions with an ET because the ET, um, is generally a, a benevolent, what we would call benevolent. They're still beings, so they're still 
prone to having misunderstandings with another being. They're not perfect, just like us. Um, but they're not generally at all wanting for us to have a negative experience, but they don't necessarily understand what we're experiencing. They don't necessarily understand that we're going to spiral into this, you know, mess of confusion and thoughts. Even if there's kind of an agreement of, I'm going to visit you during your lifetime as a human, and we're going to continue on our exploring of life and experiences and genetics. And that particular relationship is such that it's almost, it's almost, it's kind of almost scientific looking from one way of looking at it, collecting information, but it's, it's not really as cold and harsh as it might look because I mean, a lot of these people who have abduction experiences, it's about connecting with their families and it's about connecting with some of these people will have children that are hybrid children. And it's basically about lineages and connecting. And it's, it's sometimes it's a very beautiful experiences that people are having where, yeah, it's, it's essentially very similar to, uh, to human experiences, just a reunion. in a very alien context. A really weird reunion. Well, you know, Roger Lear, Dr. Roger Lear, uh, I believe he's performed possibly as many as a couple. Well, he passed away. But he was renowned for taking implants out of people. So um, whoever did get abducted, they received a souvenir, a token of their gratitude, yeah. uh, some of the most bizarre stuff. And you wonder how the hell that uh, that piece of that, that alloy, that piece of technology um, get hooked up in a nerve brand bundles, you know, behind my neck in the back of my head under my arm. Um, they track. And it seems as though some of the technology, the tracking technology, certainly we use as well chips. So where are we getting some of this information? Where are we getting these ideas? Another guy who wrote a book, um, Phil Corso, uh, he was a lieutenant, Phil Corso. He was he actually worked in the National Security Committee out of the White House. He was actually, uh, his office was in the White House. He said that the technology that was recovered from Roswell was taken and inserted into uh, the various industries, uh, Kevlar, um, microchips, um, fiber optics, so on and so forth. These were all originally alien constructs. Now, Phil Corso passed away as well, but there's a pretty interesting book out there called The Day After Roswell. So now you mentioned that they can make mistakes and, you know, every, anybody can make a mistake. Anything can make a mistake. Certainly in this instance, maybe they did. Um, you also mentioned that it's a scientific foray for them. Um, do you think that's the, the, the main purpose is to understand us is the main purpose to, uh, to conquer us, to change us genetically or to create life forms that can exist on this planet that might exist on other planets? Are they the cedars of the planet? They're doing something here. They're watching us. They're taking, they're taking samples, clearly taking samples. So are they the enterprise in reverse where they're, they have a non-intervention directive, but they have, um, they have a mission? What's that mission? And what's the mentality behind something that can do that, that, can, that has that capability, uh, and then again flies with impunity around in the sky and does whatever they want to do, turning off missile systems, turning off uh, shutting down uh, jet fighters in flight, uh, being able to render nuclear weapons useless, targeting, uh, scrambling target data, all sorts of amazing things. Yeah. Are they disarming yeah. us? I mean, there's taking, so many, right? I mean, and, right? There's yeah, taking the, dangerous, taking the dangerous toy away from your younger sibling. It's like, okay, don't, you, don't be playing with this. This is way too dangerous. And you don't necessarily understand the, the potential 
harm that this could have. It's like stepping in. It's like, I'm not going to step in, but you're messing with some nuclear stuff right now. You've gone a little too far. I wanted to give you, you know, you can, you can have your you know, freedom to choose, but you're choosing to play with something that's a little, you could, you could do some damage here. They're like parents on some level. Police, parents, doctors, they kind of play a lot of roles, don't they? Scientists? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are they, belli- each- are they belligerent? Are, you mentioned that they're, they're relatively benign. Do they care about us? Um, is this evidence that suggests that they do care about us? These children uh, that I mentioned to you in schoolyards, the message was clear. We're messing with the planet. We got to stop doing it. We're going to destroy it. And they're not the, it's not the first time that this has come up. The, the old space brothers warning us about, you know, what we're doing to the planet. It's been going around since the 50s when UFO sightings were actually quite common and they were reported readily in the, in the various news journals across the country. They were on radio. They were on TV. 1953, the Robertson panel convened. And just as you mentioned, figured that we probably couldn't know the truth because if we did, all sorts of shit would fall through fall through the cracks. We'd, yeah. we'd lose our minds. I mean, look what we're doing right now with the COVID-19. It's, it's fractured this culture very easily. Literally, it has created panic worldwide. Uh, it's, it's, it's fractured people from each other. This is interesting. We're going in a very interesting place right now because maybe these beings know that that could happen. Maybe when the Robertson panel, when everyone got together on the Robertson panel, they figured the same thing. We have to stop reporting these things because we're going to lose control here and it's going to be a problem. And maybe the, these beings also understand that that's why we have to stay incognito. I think it's more so that if the full truth were to come out about everything, because essentially the more truth that comes out, the more uh, like in a domino effect it is, the more truth, the more truth, um, how painful it would be and how shameful it would be for many humans. It, it, it would be more so difficult for the human experience in that we would be facing the monster inside our fellow human, inside ourselves, we'd be facing the fact that we did things to ourselves. Like our governments and our leaders and our people, our own people were the ones who did things against us. That is the thing that we're actually, whether collectively or conspiratorially, delaying, delaying those revelations because they are intense and painful to face. fact that we have we've been the ones to do the harm to ourselves over these many many generations and bit by bit comes out you know someone who's beloved and well known and who's an artist and who creates these things for our culture will be revealed as a monster and then we have to process that what does it mean to grow up living in a world where the people you thought you could trust are actually doing harm to you and, pe- and people near, near you. Um, that to me is the more relevant thing that's going on in, in that, in that, uh, in the exposure and uh, disclosure, mm-hmm. I should say. It's both, right? E- the ET stuff is a part of it because a part of that is the technology that we could be feeding the whole world and we're not. We could be taking care of everyone and we're not. And that is a really painful thing to realize and we haven't realized it yet. We're still in denial of that. And that's not something that the ETs are responsible for. That this is, this is us. This is our experience, you know? And we're choosing to create our experience to be this way. Um, We're partially ignorant and that happens when you don't have the full information. Um, but, you know, that's, that's where we're at. So. so being incognito saves us from ourselves, essentially. 
It saves us from ourselves. It saves our minds from going to places that they don't need to go, creating situation scenarios, fear that isn't necessary. Uh, and that's probably, of course, when, when the Robertson panel convened and that was handled, they probably saw that we had an incredible capacity to create issues within our own culture, to be our own worst enemies, essentially. So that brings to question, when they say, take me to their leader, take me to your leader, <laughs> who do we show? Who is that leader on planet Earth to introduce to the aliens? Do we have anything? Is it even possible? Especially when they might have a beehive technology and it doesn't work like that. Do we have a leader? I never, I never really think of it that way. Mm -hmm because I personally don't think that way. Um, if we're not, if we're not on the same page as a species, how do you, you know, how, which, who do you go to? You know, if we're kind of separated into different camps in, in many ways, not in every way, there is a lot of shared space um, in humanity at the same time. There's a lot of sharing going on. But at the same time, there are still these divisions where we we disagree about certain things. So you think? it's like who, they're not going to come to us and be like and and decide, okay, we're going to go to this leader as opposed to that leader. Like there there has to be some sort of unified front in order to have that kind of in interaction on that specific level as far as having a leader. Well, let, know, me ask you, like, let, me, let me ask you a question on that note then. Could our advancements in weaponry force a relationship with an alien race who need this planet for whatever reason, you know, be it resources, a future home or a rest station for that matter? Would strength with the ability to destroy them give us some form of leverage, force them to meet with us, so to speak? No, that's like, you can't really, you can't force someone to meet with you because you're going to hit them with a big stick. It's like, there's, um, there's sticks probably a lot bigger granted. I mean, they're, they don't really use sticks is the thing that they're, they're not into it. I mean, I, I, I kind of oversimplify all species because there's a lot of variation and I almost imply that they're all 100% benevolent, but there is a complexity there. I just, I, there's none that are genuinely wanting to destroy humans. There's, it just doesn't, there's no reason for it. They're not, no one would be that angry at us yeah. for hitting each other and beating up each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> no one is that, no one has any motivation to take over the planet or, hurt humans or anything. So if we're like, we're, we have all this power, they're just kind of like, okay, keep thinking you do. It's like, you have more, more immediate problems that need to be solved than who has the bigger stick. It's like, you got to take care of yourself. You would think. 50 years from now, will we have had established a relationship with an alien race? Well, there, or have we? Yeah, we have, because there are so many people right now who are being born on this planet, who have in a very, a very um, notable genetic similarity even more so than, nor than previously normal to ETs, to such an ex ex strong degree that the, the capacities of those beings or lifetimes as those beings is completely being synthesized into the human experience. So there are people on the planet now who are, they're human and they're ET already. And they might be they might be being born here in the traditional sense and incarnating in a, their phys fully physical being, but their soul, their genetics, their their all the parts of them that make them them are 
fully integrated with, in many cases, more than one ET species. And what this is doing is this is making it very gentle and this is giving, giving us all in the universe shared experiences. And that's essentially something that is already the goal, um, but it's very immediate when there's, when there's a human who relates to aliens. I mean, I, I'm, you, I imagine you've heard this your whole life where people will feel like that they, maybe their true home is not on the planet or they feel some sort of kindred connection to aliens. Like this is something that has always, always existed ever since, you know, contact or whatever kind of contact experiences you want to talk about have happened. There's always been that to it. And it's just, it's, it's becoming more and more so. It's becoming more and more so understood. So at this point, I know people, even the people associated with this group who will openly talk about these direct relations with ETs because they know how much they are the same. They know that they are an ET and they know, they know, you know, well, there's there are an awful lot of people with incredible mental capacity. And when you read the case studies of people who have been abducted, they are oftentimes reporting that they've been shown hybrids of humans and ETs. If you accept the fact that aliens are here, and at this point, it's we know, the, the, uh, the DOD pretty much confessed. They're here, they're doing something. They're interacting with us on some level. So there's genetic information being taken. They're performing experiments. They're creating hybrids. They're doing whatever they're doing. And that's all well and good by me, by the way. Um, you know, the point is, is that it's just something that's gonna become the new reality. And uh, it's something that, uh, you know, that we just have to accept. But John, we've run out of time. But we could keep going. I mean, it's hard to believe that we've actually run out of time on this thing. Um, we'll have to do this again. Uh, there's a number of topics that I think you're, you're good, good for, and uh, I appreciate your time. Once again, everybody, this is John Zanettis. Uh, he's an interesting individual. To say the least, he's one of the moderators of one of my favorite groups right now, the largest of its kind with 133K strong. It is the Facebook group, Aliens, UFOs, Space Anomalies, and Conspiracy Theories. You've been listening to The Phenomenal Report. I am your, your host, Kelly Kleinman. Don't forget to like this, comment, please, and certainly subscribe um, by all means. We are on YouTube. It is The Phenomenal Report. John Zanetis, thanks again.